So that's what we're doing uh, today. And for the last seven weeks, we have um, walked through the entire chapter of, of chapter 12. And so we've looked at all the 21 gifts, we looked at their purposes, how we're one body and how we were, we're meant to be interconnected and interdependent and how we need one another. Uh, and today we come to chapter 13, which is the love chapter, okay? So most of you, even if you're not a Christian, or maybe this is your first Sunday, uh, you've heard this chapter. You've heard it probably at a wedding. This is like the love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. And like, you know, you're at the wedding and you hear about it and you're just like, not my spouse. That, that chapter. So that's where we're going. But the great thing is, is, is sandwiched um, like above and, and at the bottom of this love chapter is, is what context? Spiritual gifts. And so literally the last verse before 13 is earnestly desire spiritual gifts. The first verse in verse 14 is earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And so this whole chapter is actually about how we love others with our gifts to the point that we're about to see. Paul says your gifts are worthless if, if, if they're not done in love. And so, so today is actually one of the most important Sundays, especially if you've been getting excited, the Lord's revealed to you what your spiritual gift is. You've been walking in it. Um, really one of the most important Sundays to be here this week and next week is the character for the gift. And this is really key. One of the things we've said right, right from the beginning when it comes to spiritual gifts uh, is that, that spiritual gifts are meant to complement uh, spiritual disciplines. Now, if you don't know what that is, those are just ways historically the Bible has shown us we commune with God. And so spiritual disciplines are things like Bible reading, prayer, silence, solitude. And so when you're communing with God, when you're, when you're listening to him and having fellowship with him, when you're in this kind of enjoyment of him, what will, what will be produced in you is spiritual fruit. So spiritual fruit, you can read about uh, all throughout scripture, but one of the most famous places in Ephesians where he's like, you know, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so spiritual character, spiritual fruit, spiritual disciplines, and spiritual gifts are kind of, when you put them all together is what it looks like to live a spirit-filled life. And so one of the things we prayed for, if you've been with us, when we talked about each gift is Holy Spirit, will you give me the character for the gift? Um, so that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about really the character we need for all of our spiritual gifts. This will be this morning and next week, uh, and then we'll get back into tongues and prophecy. So that's where we're going. But here's what I, I have one ask, one ask, uh, and that is that as we, we walk through this passage, that you would uh, present yourself uh, to the Holy Spirit now, if you're not a Christian, obviously you're like, well, I'm not gonna do that. But if, if you're a believer in here, um, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit or give him permission to show you your relational sin. And what I mean by that is where you don't love or want to love. Just say, will you show me as we walk through this where I don't wanna love and where I don't love? And, and then ask him, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to take out or transform what's not loving in me. Because that, this will be a miracle for you uh, if he does that. So I want, I want him to do that. Like that's, I don't just want to be like, hey, let's learn about this. No, like let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to do a transforming work 
in our hearts because here's what, here's what will happen. It'll be way too easy for you to have someone else in mind during the sermon. You, it will. You'll be like, glad my husband's here. You're listening, right? Right? Husband's like, yeah, don't be irritating. You know, like this. It'd be so easy to have someone else in mind. And, um, but I think the spirit wants to do some healing in you. Because here's the thing. I think there's some, some relational sin in all of us. And my prayer is he would take that out. Like, so I hope you want that. Okay, like, I hope we're not just here to, like, you know, listen to a sermon. Like, no, like, let's change. Let's go, okay, God, like, work in my life. This week sucked. Show me how I can have a better week and how I don't love well. Okay, so you're going to pray that, and then I will pray. So you start, but, you know, in your head. Uh, Father, I just thank you that your word is living, it's active, and um, we're made to love you, we're made to love with your love, and Jesus, you told your disciples, they cannot bear fruit if they don't abide in your word and in your love. And I just, I pray for the scalpel today, Holy Spirit. I pray that the hardest of hearts today would be cut open and that you would reveal and heal how we love and where we're not loving. And I pray, Holy Spirit, where there is bitterness, even strongholds where demons have come in and have aggravated through bitterness, would you reveal that? And may we cast that out and may, may you heal this this morning. And I pray for just a supernatural work of your spirit. I pray for humility. Just we are so self-obsessed and we don't even see it. So just please, I just pray you do a work of your spirit. I know you will, but I just believe, God, that you can, and we want that. And so I just, I pray you'd help me teach and help me to love through this gift this morning. I pray that the gifts that I will use now would be, would be just from a heart that loves these people. Like I do, I love this church, and they love one another. And Lord, some of us need to feel your love. So I pray that you would raise up others in this room to, to have prayers and encouragements and words for each other. So I just, I pray you would do ministry together this morning by your spirit. Just pray this all in faith in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians 13, let's just read it so we can get a sense of what we're gonna be talking about. Um, and then we'll unpack three questions. So let's read it together. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, 
but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned just in this martyrdom and I'll save someone's life, but, I, but, if, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, so three questions coming out of this. Um, the first one is a little complicated, but I'm gonna try to explain it to you. Here's the first question. Why does the Spirit, this will be up here for you, why does the Spirit still manifest gifts through people whose hearts are not loving? Second question that we're going to look at just as we walk through, just so you know where we're going. So you're like, wow, this is confused. You just say things and I never know where we're going. This is where we're going. I'm going to answer that question. Number two, what matters most to God? What, what's the most important thing? How does God look at your life and deem it successful. Um, how do you know you're doing well in that? And then, and then the third is we're gonna do part one. We'll pick it up next week with part two. We're gonna start walking through every one of these attributes. So we'll look at love is patient and then we'll, then we'll do love is kind. So then, so the, the third point is how is your love? So this is where we're going. Um, so why did he, so let's start. Why does the spirit still manifest gifts through people whose hearts or lives don't make any sense? Just so you know, this has been my biggest struggle as a, as a pastor studying on the spiritual gifts. Um, this has been my biggest struggle this whole time, uh, namely with so much damage done to people's faith and their love of Jesus done through some charismatic movements in the use of spiritual gifts. My question is why would the Holy Spirit manifest if, if, they, if he knows that wasn't going to produce love or faith, or if the heart in this person isn't right. Like for, you know, like this is my struggle. I'm like, Holy Spirit, why not just shut off the tap? Don't manifest a spiritual building up or a, or a gift um, if love isn't present. Like, have, let me ask you this. Have you ever thought um, when you found out maybe it was a charismatic leader, you once were involved in a church or like, maybe someone you follow who, who came with signs and wonders and, and later they were exposed as not only using but manipulating, getting rich on and abusing people with those gifts. Have you ever thought why? Like why? Why, why allowed that? Why would you let that happen? Why can the gifts still manifest? And yet Paul is, is you'll see, in, in like when we get to chapter 14, going to correct both the heart and the order of the gifts. So if the, if the heart and the order were off, just the Holy Spirit should just be like, nope. But, but he doesn't. He still uses gifts, you know. Um, 
like tongues, just so you know, can be falsifiable. People can, you know, hear and imitate it and pretend. And sure, the Bible teaches that we're to test the spirits. And so there are many times where the demonic will manifest in, as an angel of light. And you'll see spiritual gifts that look like they're the spirit, but they're actually demonic. But listen, that's, there, it, some of the stuff that's happening is all God. Even in, even in some of the craziness that you're seeing, like, you know, I just had a friend tell me about uh, just last week in Surrey, there was a, there was a guy who was coming in from the States with the spiritual gift of healing. And, and uh, you know, he, he had a word of knowledge where he's like, can someone here can't smell? And you haven't smelled in a long time. And the guy's like, oh my goodness, like I haven't been able to smell for like 15 years. And here's what he does. Bam, be healed. Bam. <laughs> like I just, just, just but here's what, here's, what, here's, the, here's what happened. He could smell. Like the guy could smell. And so personally, I'm like, why? Like, I just don't get that Holy Spirit because how is that helpful for those of us who we've been talking about like the spiritual gift of healing? Like, does that teach us? Like we can just be go like, bam. So I, just, I struggle with this. You just gotta know, like, I'm just gonna be really honest with you and I wanna know why, you know? Like, like here's another one. Like if, if someone gives you a, a word of prophecy, and then you find out a year later they're not walking with God or, or um, you know, they've really made a mess morally of their lives. I mean, does that word still hold? Like, what do you do with that? So this is my question. It's been my question to God for a long time. And I feel like he's given me some answers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to answer that question from this text because it's in there. Um. So if, if Paul's correction is, which it is, gifts without love are nothing, well, then why? So it hit me, and I'll, I'll give you how it hit me. So, you know, I'm, I decided this year I was going to start in January and read through the whole Bible, so I have a Bible reading plan, and I was in Numbers, and there's a story in Numbers where God uses a, a pagan psychic, speaks to him prophetically, to use that that man to speak in and protect God's people. So it just hit me, just the Bible does teach that, that not always, but God can use others to build up and protect and minister to someone who's not at all of good character. It's like that's in the Bible. So it's there where the spirit can give all sorts of gifts and all sorts of ways to help and all sorts of people without them having the heart for Christ. So I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I still don't know why, but it's close. Why? Ultimately, we don't know. I can't wait to ask. But as I looked at this church in Corinth, and I don't have time to do this, but, but if you go to 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is so convinced. This is the most messiest church. The, the most, they, they were doing the most like just the most fleshly type of things. And yet they were growing, they were infants. And, and Paul was convinced the Holy Spirit that began a good work was gonna continue it, that God was working, he was at work in their lives. And, and then, you know, when you start reading that, you're like, I'm such a mess in so many ways. And, and, and then you're thinking, well, like, you know, if, if, if God worked in that way in this church, then, then he's going to do that in all of our churches. And, and, it, and here's what hit me. If God waited to manifest his love, his word, and power to build others up, 
if he waited for the purest of heart, where it was always in this realm from love, always in this kind of mature way that you think it would be, or, if, or even in his sovereignty, he, if he didn't manifest a gift because he knew in three, three years this guy was gonna deny him or morally fail, then, then think about how miserable and unchanged the world would be. Like Shore Church, I, I'll confess, my heart hasn't always been for you when I'm preaching. Like, it, like sometimes it was, it's been for me or to impress someone. My heart hasn't always been in love, but did God use it? Thank, thank God he used it. Jonathan Edwards, speaking into some of the stuff that was going on in the revivals, which was of the Holy Spirit, he, he said this, the Spirit can operate and use gifts in a person who has not given his heart to the Lord. This is out of observation. But then here's what he says, really clear. The Lord's Spirit cannot do a spiritual fruit in a person whose heart hasn't been given to the Lord which by the way, makes more sense of passages like Matthew 7, 21, where, where Jesus says this, and it'll be on the screen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. So what is the will of the father? Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? the prophetic in your name. And then we cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. So the works were happening. Demons were going out, not by demons. And they were going out in the authority and the power of the spirit in the, in the name of Jesus. And, and then he listened, he will declare to you, I, like I never knew you. So think about this, how, like, why were demons cast out? Why were prophetic words being shared? Here's the answer. The spirit, God's love, still wanted to free people and speak into their lives. In fact, in Matthew 10, 1, it says that Jesus gave them, who's them, the disciples, the power to cure all sorts of diseases. They went out prophesying. They went out casting out demons in Jesus' name. They went out healing the sick. Who was among them? Judas. And he, Judas never gave his heart to the Lord. So, so yes, spiritual gifts, and we've studied this for seven weeks, are given. Some have many. Some have one or two. We all have at least one but spiritual gifts are given to those who have the Holy Spirit in them. They're born again. You have the Spirit of God living in you, but spiritual gifts can also be manifested in people's hearts who aren't changed, who are in the umbrella of Christian. Thus, what we need to see on the onset of this passage, I believe written to those who are believers, is this, love is more miraculous than miracles. Like love, loving others in your gifts is more miraculous than miracles. Christian love, humility, warmth, cheerful, like joy, 
oozing, spirit-filled, forgiving action towards the other to build them up is supernatural. So this is really key, really, really key. Don't look to your gifts for evidence of the spirit. Look at your love. Look at your love. Paul's point again and again in chapter 13 is spirit activities don't benefit the person doing them if that person's life is not characterized by love. Let me say that again. The spirit's activities don't benefit the person doing them if that person's life is not characterized by love. Cool. Number two, what matters most to God? Well, we've been talking about it, but let's read it one more time. Verses one to three. By the way, if you have any questions, join a community group because the leaders are ready for you. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So he, here's the point. If you don't have love, it's nothing. Without love, the, these gifts, they're of no importance. The degree of sacrifice doesn't mean anything. Our gifts may still be used by God to build someone up. But make no mistake, they mean nothing to God if you're mean-spirited, if you're just quickly harsh, if those gifts are self-seeking, self-exalting, you do it in a rough way, you, just, you look down on others, which was the issue in Corinth is, man, we're better, look at our gifts, they're more miraculously present, those with the gifts of help, just you know, clean the dishes, we're gonna cast out demons, like, we're better. And he's just like, no, sacrificing everything you have, extreme self-denial for others means nothing if you're relationally, you're a jerk. Like you could make our entire budget today and be like, I'm gonna get, look at this. And all week, you're just a jerk at work and you're, you're, you're just so mean-spirited all the time. You're criticizing, you're critical. And on social media, you're just, you're just tearing people apart, just, you, you could teach, I could teach with just maybe this great anointing and it's awesome. And, and you guys all go like, I love the Bible more. God really spoke to me. And yet I could get off and just start tearing some people down in the church and whatever it means nothing. Like he, this, is, this, is what, this is the air by which Paul wants to lovingly speak into the life of a church that is hyper charismatic and should be. He never once says, don't use your gifts. He actually says in verse 14, one, earnestly desire the gifts, especially that you may prophesy, which I believe you can get the gift of prophecy even more. So I, I think the short church, we should eagerly have a prophetic ministry where we eagerly desire this kind of ministry. But if it's not love, worthless. So here's my question, how's it going? Like on a scale of one to 10, how well do you love in your gifts? Because that, like, that's what matters most to God. 
You know, like, like gifts serve his love. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of his love. He will love through you, but he wants to love with your love through you. Because the profound joy, like our tagline is experiencing profound joy through practicing the gifts. The profound joy will be not only in knowing God, the Holy Spirit builds someone up through you where you just go, like, I feel alive when I'm doing this. I love it. I come, but it'll be, the, the joy is in like, in the love of God was just manifest and I loved them and I just, you know. So, so he, here's what we need to think. The way to make a lasting difference in someone's life is to love through your gifts. Verse eight says that, that love never ends. So here's what he's saying in the context of gifts. What will last more into eternity won't be the effect of the use of your gift. It will be the love in which you use that gift. That's what will last. He's just like he's calling the church to be known by their love. Here's one side application, by the way. If you're here and if, you, if you've ever had this like false guilt, and we all have, where you've kind of compared yourself to someone else, like maybe you thought like, they just seem to have a stronger gift in this, or maybe on social media, you're like, man, that person just seems way more sacrificial and beneficially, you know, like, like helping and more successful than me, or, you know, I wish I could give away as much as they do. And, and you've had this like unnecessary guilt because compared to them, their outward works, you're, you don't feel as strong in your faith. Anybody ever struggle with that? So, so here's what we need to take out from this verse. God's view of what matters and will last isn't that. What, what God sees is your love. So when we compare with others in a way when, where you receive this unnecessary guilt where we're looking not at what God looks at, Remember, 1 Samuel 16 says this, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on his heart. So comfort your hearts, not in the fact that like, well, I give as much as they do, or I have this kind of gift, or I'm active in ministry as they, they may have no love at all, and it's meaningless. What you will be accountable for before God is how did you love? That's success. Don't think success is seen in how big the effect is with your gift, but rather, how did you love in your gift? Because the effect will be the Lord anyway. That's what matters most. Okay. Number three, let's do this. How is your love? This is part one. So we're gonna get through, uh, we're gonna now look at, you know, Love is patient, so we should, you know what, let me pray, because uh, this is where the scalpel might come out. So, Jesus, right now I just want to ask that you would just, just posture our hearts to hear. Thank you that you love us, that everything that you're, you may reveal in our hearts has been forgiven and that your love is always and unending and eternally ours in Christ. Like we, we can read this passage with your name, that you are patient, that Jesus, you're kind. 
that you did not consider yourself, Lord, that you, that you, you are all these things for us. You love us actively in these ways. And so I just, I pray that as we walk through this, the way you've called Paul to speak in the lives of this church, would you speak into ours? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first one, ready? Love is patient. Yep. How many of you are like, eh, already, I just, you know... Spirit got me. Okay, when was the last time you were not patient? Okay, everyone think to the last time you were not patient. For me, it's, it's always manifest with my kids. They are the, just, literally, I was telling Nikki, like, why are they so inconvenient? Like, this is this, they're so expensive, and then they don't listen to you. Like, what are we doing? She's like, do you hear yourself? I'm like, yeah. I'm actually preaching on this this Sunday. Um, but like, I, you know, like for me, they're, they're, they can't do something for themselves. Like they're, my kids are a little younger right now or they're not fast enough. Like Joseph, he is the slowest person. He's the slowest person to X, to enter a car. We're like, come on, come on. Or exit a car. Like I'll be in just in the rain. Everyone's already eating dessert and he's still coming out. I can't get my jacket on. You're just like, it doesn't go on your leg. <laughs> Uh, he's even the, worse though. He's even the, he's even the slowest like eater. Like I have to say, like I'll have to say, we all say senses like, hey, put that in your mouth. You got to eat. But I, I have to say, and then you have to chew it. Like chew it, buddy. <laughs> Anyways, why, why am I so impatient? Well, probably because there's a self that doesn't want to stand in the rain or doesn't want to wait that needs to go somewhere and, and he's getting in the way. I have, to, I, have to, I have my life to live. The King James translates this, love suffereth long. Yeah, that suffereth long. And, and so what would patience be? Well, patience would be Joseph-centered. It would be relating to him how Jesus has related to me, how much Jesus suffereth with my slowness to love him, my slowness to listen to him, go where he says to go, that's what it would be to, to, to be patient. In, in relation to spiritual gifts, practicing gifts, maybe, maybe Paul's going, why, why are you so quick to judge other people? You're really judgmental. Maybe they, they use that gift poorly. Maybe they said, bam, and that maybe offended you. But are you patient? Is, would love is patient? Maybe they were embarrassing and, and, and you didn't want that on you. Being patient with them, don't rush to criticize. Let me ask you this, are you, are you able to cope when things don't go your way? Like, is that what you're known for? Oh, don't worry about the change of plans. She is great with this. Like, how's your patience with those on social media? Let me ask you this question. Who are you frustrated with right now in your life the most? I just saw people look at each other. That was awesome. Just being honest, Calvin. Being honest, man. Um, love that guy. Uh, but like, who are you most angry with right now? Let me give you a verse, Ecclesiastes 7. We'll take that out of the recording. Uh, eight, 8 to 9 says, says this. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Notice how those 
patient and proud. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Let me ask you this. Who right now is Jesus calling you to bear with and build up even though they don't love you the way you want to be loved? You know what? Actually, I want you to ask that. You ask that. So you're going to ask, Holy Spirit, right now, will you show me who you're calling me to bear up with and build up even though they don't show me any love? Here's what's really healthy. It's good to see how more consumed you are with feeling important and valued more than you care about loving others. It's just good to see that, that that's happening so that you can take that to Jesus. Paul goes on, like, love is kind. This is a word it means you're like really like helpful and you're pleasant. It's it's you could translate it shows kindness. Love shows kindness. Um, you're warm-hearted. You're considerate. You're sympathetic with all your spiritual gifts. Like we could we could just maybe we'll do it next week. We could put up all the gifts that you have, like like teaching and and helps and mercy. And you could put mercy shows kindness. Teaching shows you could just do that with all the spiritual gifts, but. Are you able to put up with one another's mess and sin? And are you kind or are you the person who's just always patronizing? And anytime someone doesn't do something the way you thought, you're just like, you're an idiot. And you're just not kind. Genuine love, it cultivates feelings or affections of tender hardness towards others. See, spiritual gifts are done are to be done with genuine sympathy and tenderness. Like my, my hope for us as a church is that when people meet us or they come into life of this church, that when we use our gifts, they would really experience like the loving heart of a father. Like, do you know those people when you're talking to them and you walk away with them, you don't only just feel built up by whatever they gave you, whatever the gift, but you go like, I just feel like they loved me. That's, that's it. Are you kind with your gifts? Paul's just like, you guys are, you'll, you'll see him when you, if you just read 14 today, like the way they weren't being kind. Um, let me ask you this question. Do you believe Jesus is pleasant towards you? Do you believe Jesus is, is kind? Do you believe Jesus is warm-hearted towards you? Not towards the person you meet with or the, you know, your spouse or your friend. Do you believe Jesus always, this, always seeks to do you good? If you don't, you're, just, you're not believing the gospel. Like he is kind. Let me show you some verses. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... was always there. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. You know what that means? He didn't look across the centuries of time and go, look how good they're going to be 
Holy Spirit put them on the list when Jesus judge, when God the Father judges their sin on me and I die in their place. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, couple this with two, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise that he's gonna restore everything, that we're gonna have what we saw last week, the new heavens and new earth, as some count slowness, but is, what's, our, what's the word? Patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I want you to think of the volun, this is, I don't know if this is a word, the voluntariness of Jesus' death. He didn't have to die for us, but it shows us the depths of his love, of his kindness. I mean, just think about this with me. He was crushed. Like he was marred beyond human likeness. He didn't even look human anymore. He lost his father and he lost everything. The worlds, he lost his beauty, he lost everything, yet he looks at you and me and he says, it's worth it. Like I lost all of this, but I got this and it's worth it. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm a mess. Like God wanted me Like that's infinite kindness and patience. Like he, he loves you more than the world. He, he was willing to let everything go in order to get you, to bring you into this eternity where you will enjoy God and everything he wants to lavish on you forever. Think about the loving kindness and patience he must have had. Like, do you just, just realize the magnitude of that loving kindness? Like, like, every letter that Paul writes, he's just like, I just pray that they would comprehend the heights and the depths of the love of God that's in, like, just all, whenever he prays, he's like, they, they just they would know his love. Like, how, we're gonna sing this as we respond in a bit, but how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch's treasure. By the way, without God, uh, there can be moral feelings, but there can't be moral obligation. Like every culture and every age and every time in history would read this passage as a description of love and go, yeah, that's, that what, that's what ought to be. Uh, and if, if you're here and you're not sure what you believe or you're, you know, maybe on a journey of faith or would just identify yourself as an atheist, um, just, you know, this love we're talking about comes from a God who is love. It was interesting. I, I read one article uh, this week where an atheist who um, was living in the time of World War II, he lived in New York City, he was a German uh, you know, held fast that, that Nazi Germany, Nazi Germany, Hitler was of the sophisticated, of the educated society, uh, and so at, that, at one point he received more news of what was really happening in the in the camps, and he actually was received 
imagery and all that of what was going on. And he couldn't believe it. He talked about this crisis he found himself in. And, And listen to what he wrote. He says this, if I am convinced that the highly educated Nazis are wrong and that we highly educated English are right, what is it that validates our values and invalidates theirs? The English intellects who now cry to heaven against the evil incarnated in Hitler have no heaven to cry to. The whole trend of liberal thought has been to undermine faith in the absolute. It's, it has tried to make reason the judge. But either we serve the unconditional or some Hitlerian monster will supply an iron convention based on reason to do evil by. It's like when you look at nature, at the, the strong eating the weak, he says, well, then what basis now do you see a strong country eating a weak country or a strong race eating a weaker race? And on what basis do you say that oppression is wrong? See, if we have love, my, my point is, where does that come from? Just using reason, not morality, not heaven, not moral, absolute, just reason. How do you decide that human freedom, dignity, human rights, and justice for all? How do you decide that? Why believe, why, why even believe in that when that's not how nature works? Well, James, you actually don't have to believe in God to have moral feelings. And I agree. You can feel it's wrong to oppress people. You can, have, you can feel human rights is right. But listen, without God, there can be no more obligation. Like without God, someone has no right to say your moral feelings should determine their behavior. So, so, here, so here's what his, this man's name was A.W.H. Auden. He decided this. If you believe human rights and justice are not imaginary values but are real, and if there is no God, they would be imaginary, but they're not imaginary. He said everyone in New York and across the world knew genocide was wrong. Therefore, there must be a God. Without a God, who are we to say you're obligated to follow my moral feelings? If you say genocide is wrong or oppression of women is wrong, human rights are right, they're not just my feelings, they're right. There must be a God. And I bring this up because this this is not just this fluffy thing in the cloud that Paul's talking about. He's bringing down the reality of love, if love is as Paul lays it out, my question is why? Where does that come from? And, and, I, and I just want you to think there. And maybe you'll say, well, it's been culturally evolved. Our ancestors felt like loving patience and kindness was, was the way to survive, but that doesn't work with the survival of the fittest. And my other question is why would moral ancestors even have this moral obligation? Where does, the, where does this sense of oughtness come from around these behaviors? Here's what, here's what I want you to hear. God's love does exist. Like, it does exist. This is not just a sentimental way to live a better life. You need this love. If he exists, you were made to know him. You were made to have his love. You were made to show his love, not just love. His love, the originating person who is love. God is love. 
you will need his love to love the way he's calling you to love in these chapters. And if you're not a Christian, the first thing to do is receive his love and believe in Jesus. He continues, okay, love does not envy. Love does not boil over with jealousy. It's not bo- it does not boast. How many of you with a spiritual gift, you've looked at other people's gifts and you were like, ah, oh, I would love to have this gift. My life would be more meaningful, you know? I would, uh, I'd be praised more the way they're praised at church. And you've just kind of been like, why is it always mercy? You know, and you gotta, like, who's hurting? But then you're like, oh, I just love that you're hurting. You just shine your gift. But you've ever, you've envied about your gifts. This is his point when he's talking to this church. Can you rejoice in the success of others? Let me ask you this, right now, who are you jealous of? Who, who do you, who are you jealous of in that you want the relationships they have and how they got them? You'd be like, I just think it would be cool to have their life. But you don't, that, that's just not cash for you. You like actually think about it all the time. If you've ever thought that about another spouse, it will be impossible to love your spouse. And it's basically already over. Is that clock counting up? Did I lose all my time? All right, let's keep going. Um, it is, it's counting up. Okay, where do I go? No, you know what, let's just, let's just do this. Here we go, okay. Um, maybe you're here and you are a hurting spouse. And I actually want to pray for you. Dale and I want to pray for you both. Maybe you'd say, God, I don't know what to do with my husband. I feel so unheard, so unnoticed. He rarely makes me feel cherished. I feel like I'm losing my identity. I hate myself. And I have no sense of my worth as a woman. a really hard place to be. And so with great pain, you'll pray something like this. Larry Crabb points this out. You'll pray something like this. Please, God, this will be on the screen, either change him or show me how I can live with him, how I can find my voice when I'm with him. God, I just, I need to know you'll be with me to feel your love, to not feel so wounded and alone Please help me learn how to love with my husband without losing myself. That's not a bad prayer. It's real, it's how you feel you should pray this way, but what if instead you let the scalpel of how he's loved you open you up to abandon the you-centeredness of that kind of thinking. What if your prayers were shaped more this way? Oh God, I'm seeing it. Nothing matters more to me than whether I feel good about myself. I relate to my husband with no real thought of revealing your character to him. 
I don't even know what that would look like. I don't even know you well enough to want to reveal you to my husband. Have mercy. Maybe you're here and, and it's God, my kids are a mess. They're drinking and doing drugs and I'm just terrified they're gonna ruin their life. And I've just tried everything. I've tried tough love. I've tried counseling. I've tried backing off. I've, I feel like such a failure as a, as a parent. And so your prayer will go something like, God, please show me what's wrong with my son or my daughter so I can know what to do. I'll do anything, anything, just make him better. It all seems so unfair. I know dads who spend almost no time with their kids, who provide no spiritual input, and their kids are solid, they're growing Christians, I just don't get it. But I know you have a good plan for my family. Please just show me how to reach my son's heart. Again, that's not a bad prayer. The Psalms are full of us going like, God, give me wisdom, I don't know what to do. My, my tears are my food night and day. But sure, church, what we're asking this morning is, God, will you open us to see where we're not relationally aware how me-centered we are? Like, what if your prayer was more shaped this way? Oh, God, as I present myself to you, I'm beginning to see what's at stake for me. I'm terrified. I'll never be able to accept myself as a man until my son straightens out. It's all about me, and I see it. And it's, it's wrong. As long as that terror drives me, I'm not loving anybody, my son, not my wife, not you. God, I've been living to enjoy my family and not for your glory. I've been obsessed with my dreams and demanding that you fulfill them. Like, have mercy. Like, it's really important that you don't walk out of this sermon with like this, okay, here's one more thing I need to do on my religious treadmill. You know, like, I'll just add love now and I'll make sure, okay, is it, is it loving? And it's just this another box you check. Jesus didn't leave his disciples with that. He said, abide in my love. Listen, when loving God becomes an obligation, that's one more thing you have to do. You'll end up focusing even more on yourself. But like, what if, like right now, and we're gonna respond here, you came before God, like on your knees, going, God, change my self-obsession, change my love, because I can't. And, and, and what if you said, okay, God, this week, I'm gonna make this time to be with you in your word. I, I don't abide in you. I'm not listening to you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not placing myself where, you, where you're gonna tell me how loved I am by you, where my identity is not coming from how well I'm doing, but, how, but who you say I am. See, love is a do thing. And the first commandment is to love God, to grow in him. Spiritual fruit of, is a lifestyle of abiding in Jesus, surrounding yourself with with God's word and being men and women who, who abide in him. And I know this sounds simple, but when we stop seeing how he's loved us, when we stop actively loving him, what we will do is we will find in ourselves a gravitation towards anything else that will fulfill that fulfillment. 
Listen, when was the last time you prayed, Father, I want to live my whole life claiming no hope of fullness unless you fill it? Like when was the last time you were like, I don't want anything else in my life to give me anything unless you, it's you. And I, want, I want to change. And if you're like, I don't, if you're like, I don't want to do that, I'd, I like to tell you, know, just know who's that sentence is about is you. Like there, this is where Jesus is here to bring healing. So will you stand with me? And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna respond. And um, Jesus has power this morning to do what Paul said he, he died to do. And let me give you one more verse. 2 Corinthians 5 says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Like, we need God this morning. We need the Holy Spirit to help us love God. We need a supernatural work of the Spirit where, where we just realize, Father, I don't love the people that you've put in my life the way I should. Will you give me a greater love for them? So, so that, that's what I'm calling us to as we, we stop here is that, that we would seriously get on our knees if, if you can physically as we sing this last song and go, God, give me the right words, the right heart to really love people, to bring them closer to you. And here's where the change has to happen you actually need to look to the person next to you because this is who you're called to love, like the church. Sometimes we don't know where to go with these sermons because we we're not involved in one another's lives. And so if you feel led by the Spirit, will you just pray for the person next to you as we, as we respond as well? Come take communion, but let's, we'll just slow down in this, in this time and we'll get prayer. There'll be a prayer couple under there. Dale and I will be available as well but just begin to pour your heart out to God. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for just this time to examine our hearts and to really see how our love is going. And, and we are like, we are so like at your mercy. We can't change our hearts. But God, if you showed us some things today, I just thank you for that. That's your healing touch. Give us courage to say we're sorry. Give us courage to repent. Give us courage to, to change how we prioritize our week, where you are in our week, where others are. I pray that by your spirit, we would be more loving this week and we would look back at this sermon and this time of response when we got on our knees and go, oh my goodness, God just did that. So I just, I pray that we'd be a church that uses gifts. The Holy Spirit, please use us to build one another up. But I pray that we would be a church that does these things with love. I pray this in your name. Amen.